Well, in the Kite household, in the last few months, there has been great excitement because we have been watching Strictly Come Dancing. We have enjoyed every little thing about it. We have enjoyed the costumes, the controversy, the tears, the judges, Brucey in particular, and of course the dancing too. We were really pleased last week when Tom won. In fact, the boys have uh, supported him all the way through. I was a little bit torn at the, at the end, but in the end, I did vote for Tom to win as well. Did you know that Ipswich has a very large ballroom dancing community? You might even want to call it a movement. There are lots of dance schools and different groups meeting every week and lots and lots of people get together and socialise and dance. I think you would be surprised at just how many of your friends are part of this underground movement. Now, if we as a church felt called to share Jesus' presence with the ballroom dancing community, how do you think we could go about it? Well, we could start a ballroom dancing club, couldn't we, in our church building, in the halls or the church centre. We could play Christian music, and at the end of each uh, group, we could have a little talk that talked about the gospel in ballroom dancing terms. We could do it like that, couldn't we? And that would probably be the way that we have done it in the past. Uh, this way of doing uh, sharing his presence is called attractional. We put something on, they come. Do you think there might be an alternative way of doing it? An alternative way of reaching the ballroom dancing community? An incarnational way of sharing his presence? Well, maybe I could ask you right now, which one of you, which ones of you, like ballroom dancing? And I could get those of you who were willing to admit to that to come down the front. I could, I could pray for you and lay hands on you, not to exercise you of any ballroom dancing kind of thing, but in order to commission you to the work of ballroom dancing. I could send you out as a group then to join one of the already established groups in the community to ballroom dance for Jesus. Now, in the past few weeks, we have thought about anticipating Jesus' presence. We have thought about making room for his presence and about being surprised by his presence and we've even celebrated his presence. What now? Where do we go from here? Well, at the end of 2008, and as we look forward to 2009, I thought it would be appropriate <coughs> to end the year in the way that we began it, thinking about how we share his presence with those outside the community of faith. In view of the fact and all the things that we've pondered about Jesus and sharing his presence with us, about him being Emmanuel, God with us, how should the reality of his incarnation affect how we share the good news with those around us?
1997, Adrian and I went on an adventure to Kenya. He was in the middle of his optometry training, and we decided that it would probably be a lot of fun to take some time during his summer holiday to go and experience eye care in a different culture. We arranged to visit an eye hospital on the outskirts of Nairobi, and we offered our services. And the absolute highlight of our time there was a four-day eye safari. Now, I have to tell you that the word safari just means journey. It doesn't need to have animals involved for it to be a safari. So we set off. There were a team of eight of us from the hospital in Nairobi, packed a small minibus full of all the equipment that we would need and all the supplies. Uh, and we remember looking um, at the, the minibus and thinking, wow, that's pretty small. How are we going to get all of us and all the equipment that we need into that little bus. Surely there's going to be another bus as well. Well, there wasn't. So we all packed in this tiny little bus, me and seven men. It was very cosy. So, so we set off on our travels from the hospital in Nairobi into rural Kenya. And our purpose was to set up clinics in prearranged spots which were accessible to local people. Do you know, I'll never forget arriving at the first port of call after a day's travelling and seeing hundreds and hundreds of people queuing, waiting for us, because they knew that we were coming. Do you know, we'd had to go on a really long journey to reach these people. They were quite literally unable to get to the hospital in Nairobi. It's not that they didn't have a need, they did, but they were completely powerless to get to the hospital. Isn't taking a great big journey exactly what Jesus did for us? We were powerless to reach God. So instead of God in heaven shouting, come on you lot, try harder, he sent Jesus to us. He travelled to us right where we are. John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and lived for a while among us. Jesus journeyed from heaven to earth, from deity to humanity, from the familiar to the unfamiliar. It was quite a journey, wasn't it? You think about it, from a throne in heaven to a womb. I bet Jesus thought, how am I going to get in there? The creator of the universe was reduced to the size of an embryo, which is really quite small, and then contained for nine months growing. He continued his journey, didn't he, by being born, quite literally, and then growing through every stage of life. The saviour of the world, born just as we were. The awesome God, completely and utterly vulnerable as a baby, dependent on his parents. What a journey. And then to top it all, he took the journey to the cross, through death and then resurrection. So if Jesus took that amazing, life-changing, full-on, risky journey for us, what does that say to us about how we should share his presence with others? Well, I want to suggest that we need to imitate Christ too. We are called to leave, to leave the comforts of our church services and small groups and journey to where the people in need of his presence are. 
Maybe that means sharing his presence should happen mainly outside our lovely new building. We need to be sent out from here with a clear purpose each week of sharing God with those out there. Of course, for us, it might not be a geographically very long journey. It might just be over the garden fence or across the office. But it could be quite a big cultural journey for us from our Christian culture to the secular culture that surrounds us. I think Jesus' journey also speaks to us of travelling lightly. He came into the world with nothing and was born into poverty. And then in Luke 10, when he sends out the 72, he sent them with nothing. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. He doesn't want us to take a load of baggage with us, which might distract us and weigh us down. We're supposed to leave it here and go just as we are. Do you remember last Christmas when Simon talked about the new church centre being a lifeboat station? I do. The thing about a lifeboat station is that it's no use at all to the people drowning if the lifeboat stays in the station. How ridiculous would it be for people in the harbour to talk about rescuing people, but actually never leave harbour to do it? We would think it was scandalous, wouldn't we, for them to expect the drowning people to swim to the boat without the boats ever leaving the harbour. Journeying for Jesus means setting out in the lifeboat, not knowing exactly where we're going, but willing to go anyway. So the incarnation of Christ challenges us to journey to others. It also challenges us to dwell. Have any of you seen The Secret Millionaire, which was shown on Channel 4? I think it was a really interesting idea. For those of you who haven't seen it, it was like this. Now, each week, a millionaire would leave the comfort of their millionaire's pad and take on a secret identity and go underground into a really deprived area of the UK for about 10 days. They would live on a limited budget uh, and live and work alongside the local community, and they were looking for stories of the people around them. And what they were doing was trying to find who they thought deserved to have their money. At the end of 10 days, they revealed themselves as millionaires and dished out all this cash to those they thought most deserving. Isn't that a bit like what Jesus did? The word became flesh and lived among us. When it's talking about living and dwelling here, it means literally pitching his tent. He pitched his tent among us. He lived with his people, eating and drinking, working and traveling, laughing, sleeping. He lived with his people. He was accused of being the friend of sinners because he lived with people who were less than desirable. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say he is a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He didn't keep himself apart. 
Now, there are some major differences, differences, of course, between Jesus and the secret millionaires, not least in the nature of the uh, riches he has on offer, and, of course, the fact that he promises not to leave us after 10 days. So what does that say to us about how we share his presence with those around? Dwelling isn't about isolation or withdrawing into a holy huddle, but it's about involving ourselves with our community, really involving ourselves in the lives of those around us. And sometimes that's really messy and difficult because life is messy. The other thing Jesus is called to dwell tells us is that he calls us to dwell and not to leave. What does that say to us about reaching our community out there? Does that mean that unless we move into people's lives, we won't reach them? Does that mean that dipping in and out of our community with the occasional mince pie isn't enough? These are really difficult questions, aren't they? But I think they're ones that we need to address if we're going to be serious about being that lifeboat station right here. So the incarnation of Christ is about journeying and dwelling, but it's also about revealing God. Now, the Diocese of Coventry did a major bit of research a few years back called Beyond the Fringe. They they asked a cross-section of people outside the life of the church, beyond the fringe of the church, a great question, and it was this. If there was one big question you would like answered, what would it be? Well, the answers that they came up with were fascinating, and there were six main themes in all. And one of the major themes was about God. More specifically, people were asking the question, what is God like? It appears, doesn't it, that in the heart of man, even those who claim not to know him, there is this question, what is God like? And Jesus, coming to us in his incarnation, answers that question, doesn't it? John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, but God the only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. And Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then Jesus replies to Philip when Philip asks Jesus to show him the Father. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So in coming to earth then, Jesus revealed to us what God is like and who he is. What does that mean for us as we try to share his presence with those outside his kingdom? Well, part of our task is about helping people to see what God is like as we live among them. And how do we do that? Some of us might be quite good at making friends and living out there, but how good are we at sharing the God stuff? Firstly, I think it would help if we remembered that what we have to share is actually good news not a shameful secret, and the God that we are sharing is awesome and wonderful. Then perhaps we need to realise that actually people are more ready to talk 
than we think. They are more ready to have a spiritual conversation with us than we think they are. People are asking the question, what is God like out there? But sometimes they just don't know who to ask. So how do we reveal God to them? Well, by being among them like Jesus was and by living attractive lives. 1 Peter 2 says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Our good lives, our moral codes, should shine out in, the li- in our lives among the people that we live uh, around. And Philippians 2, just after the reading that Margaret read to us, says this, so that you may become pure and blameless children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. It's not that we're perfect and it's not that we have a holier-than-thou attitude, not at all, but it's all about grace and truth being displayed in our lives to those around us. So how do we reveal God to those around us? Well, by listening as well. Did you know that listening is a dying skill? People out there are desperate to be listened to properly, really listened to. And surely as the children of God, we should be the first ones to listen to our friends. Do you know, that might mean sometimes we have to restrain ourselves from jumping in with moral judgments and truth, because sometimes that can come across as us saying, be quiet, I'm right, you're wrong, listen to me. And that doesn't always help. We need to learn to listen to our friends, and then when we've listened, we will have the the right to be heard and not just ignored. Take my friend, living with her boyfriend, as an example of this. Now, I could tell her that her way of life is sinful. Well, that would be true, wouldn't it? But I think all I would do if I did that would be to lose her friendship and shut down any further communication that I might have with her. As an alternative to that, I could love her and I could listen to her, and then maybe I might discover, actually, she would love to be married, but it's just that he won't commit to her at the moment. And when I've listened to her and heard that, she might then hear me when I tell her there is one who loves her, and loves her so much that he died for her. How else do we reveal God? Well, we reveal God by seeking justice, We know there's so much injustice on our planet and we reveal God by standing with those who are oppressed, like Simon and Alan with Samaritan's Purse, but also that call is to each of us, isn't it? And we reveal God by telling our story when the opportunity comes, prompted by the Holy Spirit. And you know, if we can do just a little bit of this, we will begin to reveal God to people. Let me tell you about a friend of mine. And this friend has worked with someone for nine years. 
my friend is a Christian and he lives his life in a way that expresses his faith to others. He is kind and gentle, he listens really well, and he is full of personal and professional integrity. His colleague has witnessed this over many years. Now, she knew that he was a Christian because he'd said so. He'd mentioned it naturally in passing. And during a time of personal trial, uh, his colleague had asked him to pray, which he gladly did. But not only did he pray, but he took interest and cared for her. Well, do you know what? Just last month, an amazing thing happened. My friend's colleague, who had been away travelling, came back and came to him and said, Do you know, I think it's time that I sort my life out, and I'm wondering where God fits into all of that. And do you know anyone who runs Christianity Explored courses? Well, of course he knew, knew me um, and was able to put us in touch. You know, I was really thrilled to hear her story and particularly the part when she said about my friend, I just knew he would be the man to ask. How did she know that? How did she know that he was the man to ask? Well, he had lived an attractive life. He had listened well and revealed his faith in God. And at the right moment, he'd been willing to talk about how God affected his daily life. So lastly, the incarnation shows us Jesus' sacrifice. Now, I expect you've all been thinking about the cost of Christmas this year. Probably more than previous years, you know, this country has probably been thinking about the cost of things, tightening our belts maybe, seeking out bargains, or maybe you've just thrown caution to the wind and spent it anyway. Do you know that Jesus' incarnation cost him everything, but he was willing to pay it all? Philippians 2 says, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. Think about that for a moment if you can. He was born in a stable. How basic is that? He gave up all his rights as Lord of all, all the perks and comforts and privileges in order to serve us. So just maybe engaging with God about this issue is potentially costly. It might involve sacrifice. What do we risk? Our comfort? our status, our money, our reputation, our social standing, maybe even our relationships. I think living in the light of Christ's incarnation is risky, but it's never boring. You never quite know what God's going to ask of you next. He might ask you to move house or job to serve him better. Or he might ask you to stay exactly where you are but live in a way that really gets involved with those around you. 
which of course takes time and energy and commitment in the long term. Getting involved with people in their lives has the potential for personal pain, doesn't it, and disappointment. People sometimes let us down. People sometimes move away or reject us, misunderstand us, or maybe they never come to Christ. Well, that's the risk that we have to take when we get involved. Think about Jesus. He knew those he lived with lived with would hurt and disappoint him but that didn't stop him he knew it was worth the risk spike milligan once said a sure cure for seasickness is to sit under a tree well you know we do risk seasickness as we set out in our lifeboat maybe even worse than seasickness so we could choose to stay in the harbor (coughs) That would be much more comfortable. We could sit under a tree doing eternal Bible study. It would be comfortable, but would it be right? And would it be any fun, actually? Let's not let the chance of seasickness stop us, but instead let Jesus journeying to us, dwelling with us, revealing God to us and his sacrifice to us, inspire us to think about how we can share his presence with those outside and then put that into action. I want to ask each one of you a question. Are there areas in your life where you know that you are rebelling against God because the cost involved is too much to pay? Is there a certain person that God has asked you to reach or a certain place he has asked you to go or a certain thing he has asked you to do but you can't because of the cost involved? Do you know that God doesn't condemn us? He knows what we're like. But he asks us to trust him, to take his hand and walk with him into the costly areas of our lives. Doing that brings great blessing. You will know that as well as dancing, I like to sing. And particularly at this time of year, I love to sing carols. And I've been thinking about the best place to sing carols. And I don't think, actually, the best place to sing carols is in a carol service. Lovely as it was on Sunday evening, Andrew. And I don't think, actually, the best place to sing carols is on the streets of our community, even though that was great fun giving out the mince pies. I think the best place to sing carols is in the homes of our friends where there is laughter and food, people coming together and sharing life together. That's what incarnation is all about. It's about getting involved in the lives of our neighbours and friends, sharing life with them, sharing God with them, and being willing to pay the cost of that commitment. It's about hearing the call of his kingdom on our lives to proclaim his good news.
we're going to sing that song that Andrew taught us earlier on about hearing the call of his kingdom.